Welcome to Sci-Fi. I am your host, Jesse Mercury. I have a very special guest joining me once again is Barton McGuire and his musical project, Pink Moon, and he is going to serenade the fuck out of us. Starting with a song called Cova de Aria. Starting with a song called Cova de Aria. I can't say it. Cova de Aria. Starting with a song called Cova de Aria. Dope. Here we go. Distant carillon rang over and through the trees and found a clearing filled with people and the frantic mania of suspicion and belief. There I imagined an afterlife. Despite implausibility As all together perfect strangers Holding hand in hand We all drop to our knees of Helos Arcs Parhelia
fantastic. All right, Jesse. Nice job. Thanks, man. Mr. Mr. Pink Moon himself. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're on a trip from New Zealand to Seattle, so I had to... Of course, we had to have you on the show again. I think it's a new annual tradition, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. This is your third time on the show. Uh, actually, well, fourth time on the show and third time playing us your music. No, just oh yeah, if you include the if garbage you include, vortex. Yeah, garbage vortex. Back in like episode six, that I was think. some deep. That's like deep sci-fi <laughs> anthology. Totally. Yeah. Uh, back in the olden days. Uh, so, for anyone who hasn't heard you on the show before, describe your project and what you're doing. Yeah, so Pink Moon is a project that is focused um, musically on a combination of uh, acoustic instrumentation and songwriting with ethereal, electronic, and shoegaze-inspired sounds. Um, I sort of think of it, if I had to name the genre, it's like acoustic shoegaze. And from a songwriting perspective, it focuses on matters of unresolved stories or unexplained historical mysteries, sort of matters of paranormal speculation or conspiracy theory, uh, all things of that nature. And I focus on them really not because I prescribe to, um, to any particular set of theories or ideas, but really because I think that when there are there are unanswered questions, sort of loose ends in history, then people's imaginations run wild and people see in those blank spaces uh, answers to all sorts of questions that they ask themselves. Um, And it's one of the reasons why I think that uh, even though we aren't, you know, talking about quintessential like science fiction, like film or books or anything like that, it's still fitting on this podcast because in many ways uh, individuals create their own sort of fantastic science-inspired fiction it's like, or spiritual fiction. You call it fiction. like a reality's fan fiction, right? Yeah, it, nature's. Nature's fan fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's basically like people projecting science fiction into the world around them when they can't explain what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so that song, uh, Kova de Iria, mm-hmm. is about a really interesting story that I'd never heard. Yeah, it's a wonderful story and an incredible one. It is uh, called The Miracle of the Sun. And if you wanted to like look it up online and read about it more, that's what you should search for. The Miracle of the Sun. It's this event that took place in Portugal in 1917. Um, there were these children, these three children in Fatima, Portugal, and they are pretty famous for having these Marian apparitions, like the these kids claim that the Mother Mary would come to them and deliver them messages, and it happened a few times, and one time she supposedly came to them and told them to gather everyone because a miracle would take place uh, on this day in October in this place where they lived. So at this point, they had sort of built up sort of a cult following. Like, they'd been having these visions. They were kind of a big deal. and uh, But just in the church, I'm assuming. Yeah, like um, among religious people. This was sort of a religious yeah. phenomenon. Um, so that then when they... But they never before, like, prophesized something as going to happen. Yeah. So when they did, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for believers because this was going to be some sort of vision or event that they could participate in or witness themselves. And it was a big deal for non-believers 
um, because they could come and disprove yeah. that anything was happening or come and see, get a sense of what was happening um, and find an alternative way to understand it. And so accordingly, thousands and thousands, approximately 40,000 people wow. showed up in this field on this day um, to see something or nothing. And they were, yeah, they were religious pilgrims and they were academics and journalists and skeptics and just curious people. Wow. Um, and yeah, the crazy thing is that everyone who was there, regardless of their reasons, saw something, had this incredible experience in which the sun appeared to like fly back and forth in the sky to like spiral down towards the earth. Wow. At times there were many suns in the air and everyone's account of it is different. Um, yeah, the sun appeared to like zoom towards the earth and apparently many people there thought the world was ending right then and there. Wow. Um, and obviously, you know, the devout who were present consider it to be the miracle that was prophesized. Um, and other people who aren't believers have all sorts of other ways to explain it. Some like of them, what? like what, what are some of the ways to explain it? Well, there is, there is like a more tempered rational explanation, but of course other people have theorized that it was, uh, like an incredible, um, astronomical event, like some sort of unforeseen nearby supernova or something. Huh. Other people think of it as an early sighting of UFOs. Yeah. You know, some sort of like alien spacecraft coming uh, in and mimicking the sun and presenting sort of an incredible display of light and colors. Yeah. Um, but then the, uh, the sort of meteorological explanation, uh, which, which some people prescribe to, and I guess if I had to, is the one I think is the most likely, is that there are all of these various illusions that the sun illusions and light and ways that light can play in the atmosphere. The most quintessential one that we all recognize is the rainbow, right? Like that's yeah. this like beautiful arc of color and light that can appear spontaneously in the sky, depending on the conditions where the sun is, where there's like rain and other sort of crystals, ice crystals in the air. But it's not a physical object. But it's there. not, a, but it's not a yeah. physical object. The pot of gold at the end of it is a physical object. That's but real. The rainbow itself is the not, rainbow itself yeah. is intangible. Totally. Yeah. Um, also leprechauns. And so we see rainbows regularly, but there's actually a lot of these different things. There's uh, various halos that can uh -huh. appear around the sun that people see. There's like a 22 degree halo, and I think it's twice that, a 44 degree halo. These like concentric rings, which hmm. you can, I think, especially on clear winter days, if the uh, if there's like just the right amount of sort of like ice crystals in the air, it's not uncommon to see these like really dramatic um, uh circles sort of encasing the sun. Yeah. And there's also this phenomenon called sun dogs or parhelia, which are uh, like replicant suns where the sun huh. almost creates like multiple mirror images of itself at different points in the sky. And yeah. there are things that people have observed. There's like old paintings and such of these sorts of like of parhelia. Uh, yeah. Of parhelia. Um, so they were on people's radar, but they're, they were obviously like, always a source of amazement and wonder before there was a clear 
rational explanation for them. So it could just be that there was like a perfect storm of these phenomena. Or even just parhelia might explain it. Maybe. And parhelia plus like a bit of mass hysteria, right? If some people, suddenly you have people there who are expecting to see something incredible. Now something extraordinary seems to be presenting itself. So they start screaming, crying, praying, and then everyone there gets worked into a frenzy when they look up and lo and behold, there is something to see. Yeah. So then even if you are there as the skeptic, and my song is written from the perspective of a skeptic, of like a non-religious skeptic to go and witness this event. Um, then suddenly everyone around you is screaming, you look up and you do see something that you've never seen before happening in the sky. Yeah. That would be like an incredibly profound experience. Totally. And you could see how that would spread dramatically. And people, it, it's interesting. Um, obviously, everyone who was there, like present in that field on that day, uh, no one says that they saw nothing. But also, there were other people in the vicinity who were not aware of this gathering, but mm. like people that saw something? That saw that oh, saw wow. something and Just reported like it. Some dude on the street a couple blocks away. Yeah. 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 Like, people, like the sun is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like people people saw something, uh, but there's no reports more than like twenty or fifty miles from crazy COVID area. So something happened. Some, and we don't something know happened. What. It's not just mass hysteria. For but, sure. And we don't yeah. know what. Um, it could have just been like incredible tricks that the sky and the weather played. Yeah. But but something happened. Uh so that's So what are the more out there theories? You mentioned aliens. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> it's aliens. Yeah, there's always al- that's one thing that I've found in researching uh historical mysteries is that always there's aliens. always aliens. Yeah. Um there's no like specific alien theories uh that I like with like uh sort of like fleshed out narratives that I'm aware of. I think just some just like, like UFO UFOologists yeah. like point Use it to as it. Proof. Yeah, like when they point to like 20th century events that they ascribe yeah. to the presence of aliens. Just uh, like the Solway Firth spaceman. They're like this is proof. Just like that. Yeah, yeah. they'll be like there was one that was a sighting of an alien yeah. in a photograph and here was a case when tens of thousands of people saw what could only to them can only be explained as UFOs. Totally. Yeah. My uh my repertoire of knowledge of strange phenomenon has increased tenfold since you started this project. That's that's the idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I think it's so fun. I love researching this stuff and yeah, learning yeah. learning more about these things. I'll read the accounts. I can remember falling upon the some article for the Miracle of the Sun and just being so stoked. Like <laughs> so I was like this is amazing. Yeah. I couldn't wait to write the song. Like cool. I can remember like up late at night just reading, you know, just like reading Wikipedia and finding <laughs> this story and just getting goosebumps. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's super cool. I, it reminds me a lot of uh how I feel about writing sci-fi songs for for my album. It's it's kind of the thing that connects me to my own sense of wonder and excitement about the universe. So I, that well will never run dry as far as having something creative to say and something to sing about. Cause you know, going through existential teen angst luckily doesn't last that long, but then you run out of songs to write, you know, cause I'm right. sure, did you go through that phase where you just wrote Absolutely. about girls? Yeah. Yeah. Wrote about girls and like wrote about, uh, myself just like introspective, obscure nonsense. Yeah. Just from like listening, just growing up and listening to, 
Radiohead. And yeah. Radiohead's wonderful, and they totally pull it off. Yeah. But not everyone can just write cryptic, es- like esoteric, introspective poetry about their minds yeah. and their neuroses and expect that to be like satisfying Palatable. satisfying content yeah, yeah. totally yeah um, i just listened to like some of my really old stuff recently that is that mm-hmm. and i found it to be uh w- far less satisfying than i had intended it to be when i was young yeah i mean i i gotta say i was never satisfied with those songs that i wrote i always really loved writing music and always felt like i struggled to write to put words to it um uh, so this project has been very gratifying for me because, yeah. uh, yeah, I love, yeah. Writing these about these true events, I get to tell stories, but at the same time, really examine them from my own perspective. And it's, it's not like it's not at all about me. It's really, it's about my personal wonderment totally. for the power of the human imagination and for the incredible and unusual things that really have happened um, yeah. in history. And even if the miracle of the sun can be chalked up to uh, simply an incredible display of uh, solar halos or parhelia, uh, the fact that that would present itself on the day that children perhaps <laughs> randomly or arbitrarily yeah, brought tens totally. of thousands of people to one place. That's, I mean, it's amazing. Like that, yeah. whatever happened, even if it's not religious, even if it's not aliens, that's amazing. That's, you're right. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. Yeah. Like that's still fucking crazy. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've discovered that my like adult angst is better channeled into sci-fi music than into uh, personal story mm-hmm. like uh i don't know i mean obviously the election is something that's got a lot of people upset including both of us mm-hmm. um but i had this and, and the world is at a, like a very strange place right now especially socially and i had this idea a couple of days ago to write just like a jackson five funk song about the year 3000 which is where i come from <laughs> about how like everything's just great you know <laughs> that just, would be so reassuring yeah, yeah. just like to, a song about like the future being fucking awesome. And it's just like love and dance parties, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, which is my way of processing what's happening right now and finding hope for the future and channeling and channeling it into art. But it also just like fits so hand in hand with the project I'm already doing. Hopefully I will write this song. It's just an idea at this point, but I mean, I love it. Yeah. I think the world needs a, a bit of that right now. So what about, what about this song in particular, like speaks to you in your life. Like what I, for every one of my songs, there's something real to me that I need to express through it. And I'm assuming I'm guessing it's like that for you just cause I know you pretty well. Yeah, that's a really good, good question. Um, I think for me, uh, I, well, there's a few things. One, I've been living in New Zealand for the past year, which is just a place of, stunning natural beauty and so something about that really puts me in the mood to write about like naturally occurring beautiful events where like the earth in and of itself can produce seemingly miraculous experiences Um, just seems to be in keeping with the time that I'm spending in that place Um, but then of course there is sort of like a darker and more well not darker uh, 
but more complicated and human side of the Miracle of the Sun story, which is one where there is, at least to a certain element, certainly this phenomenon of mass hysteria. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, especially coming out of this (laughs) insane election where um, really everyone in the country, everyone who was paying attention has totally worked themselves up into a frenzy and yeah. not just, I mean, like I'm devastated that, that Donald Trump was elected to president and I have a very clear, uh, and a, uh, established position as far as which side I'm on. Um, and clearly I believe that the, that Trump's supporters have, work themselves up into a form of mass hysteria and that's why they've collectively made what I believe to be such a wild and irrational choice but honestly like me and you and our community of progressively minded liberal urbanites or whatever it is (laughs) that we are we've really done some of the same and I think that we in, in just in the sense that like we like feed our ideas into social media or our immediate network of friends who all seem to share the same opinions because we've sort of self-selectively curated our community and they get echoed back and amplified every time they do. And so um, it allows the proliferation of at at least sort of exaggerated or um, hyperbolized presentation of information, if not occasionally just misinformation itself. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that in some ways at an event in which there's mass hysteria and it all goes down really, really quickly in the matter of, you know, minutes in, in some ways I feel like it's totally analogous to what we've all been experiencing with the like yeah. wild heated and volatile political climate in this country. There's, there's a big picture connection for nice. you. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to play us another song? Yeah, I'd love to. So the next song I'm going to play is called The Watsika Wonder and is named for a young woman in the 1870s in Illinois who became known as the Watsika Wonder. Um, she was the, the victim or the host of uh, a supposed spiritual possession, but unlike pretty much every story you've ever heard about spiritual spiritual possession it it's like a happy story it all <laughs> it, it works out for everybody involved um so i will i'll play you the song and sort of sing you the story that way and then we can talk more specifically cool. about what happened and what happened to her this is yeah. the one with the girl whose name is perfect for songwriting right yes her name is Lorancy venom Lorancy venom which yeah. is like fucking comic book hero status name uh, yeah, it's like the most wonderful name. Uh, and there's another character in the story uh, whose name is Minerva, uh-huh. which is another another woman in a different family that it's ended up wizard. becoming involved. Yeah. Which, like, Lorancy Venom and Minerva Roth. Wow. Like, what incredible names yeah. to be able to write into songs. That's and really it's cool. just, it, they're, that's just what their names were. It's totally true. It's a true story. <laughs> All wild. right, so I'll play you the song and then we'll talk more about it. Sweet. Thank you. 
scared Would you leave your body or would it be taken from you? Were you watching from the air As your lips would move to speak or to be spoken through? Brothers dead and gone Of heaven and the angels But you'd wake up And be just a girl And the doctors and the priests Never could explain you So when faith and medicine Had failed to bring you back again family had resolved that you were lost But you found a home again Open arms to take you in Through the misplaced ghost of Mary Roth favorite songs, you sang them all so sweetly. Minerva, she held you close, and she felt her sister's heart beating just like years ago. Oh, oh the souls that live through you are not the dead, but people who were breathing needing to be told that their celestial hopes were true they placed all of their faith in you but you were only human after all oh the power of the suggested
awesome. Thanks, man. One man clapping. <laughs> but I'm the only one here, so... So that's like everyone. Everyone's, everyone's clapping. clapping. You create such uh, lush soundscapes. Um, so, I mean, I can see what's happening. You've got like a foot pedal. You've got a whole pedal, pedal board full of stuff that you're controlling with your foot. Uh, and then you're whistling, which is another form of advanced technology. I try, I try to um, do as much as I can as a solo performer. Yeah. Um, even though I have been working on developing some of these songs to um, be performed as a larger group, and I mean, you've course, got a band now, right, in New Zealand? Yeah, I've just been pulling together a band. We have drums and bass in addition to me. So right yeah, there, that's like that's immediately full. a huge, huge yeah. difference. And the songs sound wonderful with full arrangement. Um, and as you know, when I, when I record these songs, um, then it's a totally different story. And yeah. I really like to play around and let the songs take on a whole new life as a recorded um, piece. Oh, you know um, what? I'll put one of them on the podcast. Like, how should. about uh, Kova de Iria on the podcast? Yeah, because we just finished mastering that a couple days ago. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and um, it's a totally different experience of the song. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. Um, yeah, I'll but, put that, I'll but put yeah, that at the end. But uh, but I've always wanted. I don't know. For this project, I really wanted all these songs to be able to be performed solo. Yeah. Partially out of necessity, but also partially just to make it, to really bring it back to songwriting for me when I couldn't, you know, in the past so easily get distracted with production and, um, and that's all fun and great. But, uh, but I, it was a challenge that I wanted to set out and really make these songs really full and interesting, but just yeah. per, uh, solo performance. And I can talk a little bit about about what I've got going on here. Yeah, um, yeah, tell me. Yeah, so essentially, in addition to singing and then playing either a guitar or ukulele, uh, I have a sort of two paths that the uh, string instrument takes. One is the clean path, which is more or less just the raw sound of the instrument, and then there is this electronic path, which uh, normally is closed. No sound is going into it. Um, but I have a um, pressure-sensitive pad, which, which looks is, like, I mean, it is a keyboard, right? Yeah, I'm actually using a small, um, a small little MIDI keyboard, which has pressure sensitivity for, like, aftertouch. It's a yeah. little Q-Nexus keyboard, um, but it has a uh, control voltage output, and so I've programmed it so that the pressure... Uh, corresponds to the the CV out, and then that controls uh, an effect pedal I have instead of an expression pedal. Yeah. Um, so I just have a volume pedal, and when I step on the pressure, when I put pressure on the pad, it it lets sound through. Got and it. so then what's what's sitting behind this volume pedal, and which is always on, is this like wonderful arrangement of really lush reverb and um, sort of octave shifting. And uh, a few other tricks. And you added in like a Mellotron thing since last time, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm using uh, the Electroharmonics Mellotron pedal to add sort of a richness to the sound. It carries through the original guitar sound, but on top of that, it also adds the sound of these sort of like retro Mellotron. It's like a retro uh, keyboard that was popularized in the 60s and uh, you hear it a lot on like Beatles songs and I'm pretty sure that the like quintessential, uh, like string part, 
or what sounds like a string part in Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. I think that's a Mellotron. Ah. Just give people some references for it. And then Strawberry Fields is the Beatles, the quintessential uh, intro to that song. A Mellotron used actual tape loops. Yeah. So you just like every note was a different tape loop. And when you push down on the note, it's actually playing back that note recorded on tape. So it's a very interesting sound that it's very, uh, like you can do a lot with it, but it kind of sound, usually it ends up sounding like a bunch of flutes. Yeah. Um, just, I don't, I'm not sure why, but yeah. So just the here, nature I, can, of the beast. I can sort of demonstrate it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Do it. So let's see. Cool. So now we can hear ukulele. It's just got a little bit of reverb on it. And that that's through the pickups instead of through the mic that we've been recording on. That's right. Yeah. Which is why it sounds like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so I can add on the Mellotron sound. It can sound sort of like flute. Sort of like a flute sound. Yeah. Uh, or this is the other sound. It has a lot of sounds it can use, but I, I'm usually using this sound, which is supposed to simulate woodwind instruments like clarinets. Cool. And usually I am just sort of using that in the background and mixing in the actual string instrument into the foreground. And so what it really does, I mean, the sound could be produced, that whole ambient sound I create could be produced without the Mellotron pedal, but it gives sort of an additional emphasis on the um, pitched notes as opposed to the sort of transient sounds of the strumming of the guitar. Because if you can hear, like, so it's always sort of backing up and reestablishing those notes of the chord and they'll hold out nicely. Yeah. So then the sort of real uh, secret to the recipe is then adding on some pitch shifting to shift the sounds that I'm making then both an octave above and an octave below huh. the original sound in addition to keeping the original sound. Ah. But then the most important part, of course, is just miles and miles of reverb. So you've got this sort of rich, dense, Mellotron ukulele, like almost organ, because you take the octaves above and below, and then you put it through this beautiful big sky reverb. It's like a choir of ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> which is very apropos. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then the last step of course, and I'll turn back on my volume pedal, is just that normally there's nothing. Yeah. And that's only when I want there to be, I can put a little bit of energy into that system or I can really lay into it and get some heavy action going. We just got all crunchy. Yeah. I can I can get loud, man. Yeah. Awesome. So tell me more about uh, Lorancy. Yeah. So Lorancy Venom um, in the 1870s. Who is the sister to Spider-Gwen? She, the evil sister of Spider-Gwen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's not, she's not evil, even though her name sounds intimidating. Uh, she, was a, she was a normal girl who, as a teenager, uh, began to have what appeared to be sort of like seizures, but they were understood by her family to be moments of 
possession or she would leave, she would seem to leave her body. Like she would essentially go unconscious, but would then speak like in her seizing sort of catatonic state um, as like characters who were not herself, Mm. um, who would describe um, the afterlife pretty much um, and would talk about Lorancey's previously deceased siblings. Um, And so this was unusual. Um, (laughs) It's also worth noting that this all was going down sort of at the height of the spiritist movement. So this is when people were like having seances and really started sort of engaging in the era. Yeah. All of that stuff. So, so these sorts of um, ideas were on people's minds. They were sort of part of pop culture. Gotcha. Um, So we're talking England. No, this is in Illinois. In Illinois, yeah. really? Yeah, this is in the in the states. That yeah, that stuff was everywhere. Was, was it an international phenomenon? I did not um, know that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've only read the Prestige, so so her, I have no her, idea what the real life was like. Her family <laughs> didn't really prescribe to the spirit, the spiritist or spiritualist movement, um, and they tried to get medical help. They tried to have sort of like a religious intervention with the. Um, you know, religious leaders of their community, hmm. but Lorancy wasn't getting better. And so they were gearing up to have her committed to an insane asylum, which back in those days is like pretty much a life sentence. Like wow. you go to an, ins- an insane asylum, you're not likely to be coming out. And if you do come out, it's, you're probably a lot worse for the wear. So this is really bad news for Lorancy until the neighbors like down the block who were sort of advocates for and involved in the spiritist movement. Um, they met Lorancy and must have witnessed one of these episodes and they seem to decide or identify that the ghost that was possessing her was that of their daughter who had died like 10 years prior, um, their daughter Mary. Hmm. So they had decided that it was their daughter Mary who was inhabiting Lorancy's body. And accordingly, they sort of diverted her from the insane asylum and took her into their home where she lived, not wow. as Lorancy Venom, but as their daughter, Mary Roth, for months, for like five or six months, lived there. And um, as the stories go, she was able to identify, like she walked into their home and immediately... Oh, and then at this point, it, like her, her experience, the way it presented changed. She was no longer in sort of like a catatonic or seizing state. Like she was in waking life, eyes open, walking around, but as Mary Roth and mm-hmm. not herself. Um, and she walked into the Roth household and seemed to know where everything was, like know her way intimately around the house, all the guests, like old family and friends that came over to see Mary because she's back, like in someone else's body. And she supposedly knew all of them and wow. like could identify everybody. And the most, to me, the most sort of striking and like beautiful example is, I guess she like went into the parlor in the Roth household and sat down at the piano and started playing and singing all of Mary's favorite songs. Whoa. Um, which... Did Lorancy know how to play piano? I think so. I think Lorancy did previously know how to play piano. Wow. Um, so, and then eventually Mary, or yeah, 
Lorancy as Mary said goodbye to everyone. And then like months after this started happening, just sort of became Lorancy again. And from there on out, never had any of these episodes anymore. Wow. And just went on to live a normal life, like got married, had kids, no weird like episodes of uh of possession as far as anyone knows. So she went on to like live a happy life. So so really the Roth family, I mean, regardless of whatever actually happened, they sort of saved her or whether you believe it was an actual instance of possession, which I personally don't, or mm. if you believe that it was some sort of misunderstanding or people seeing what they want to see. I mean, it'd be, yeah. it seems like you would want to be reunited with your, um, with your dead daughter. And if you believe in spiritual possessions and if you're conducting seances in your free time, it seems like a conclusion that you might land on. Yeah. So it's understandable, but, and, but in the end, it's, it's really great that, that that all went down the way it did because it really prevented someone from living a life locked up in an asylum totally. instead of a happy life. Uh, yeah. And it gave closure to the parents. It gave closure to the parents. There's this, there's this wonderful account of, uh, um, the, the surviving daughter in the Roth family, Minerva, uh, has written about the episode and talks about how like interacting and like hearing Lorancy speak when she was supposedly possessed by Mary. She like knew immediately that this was her sister and that she mm. had this like full experience of closure and of like re reuniting and then having an opportunity to say goodbye and have this closure. Yeah. So really, yeah, I mean, everyone got something great out of this very unusual, mysterious uh, thing. So you said you, you don't believe it was possession. What do you think happened? I think... You think it was like a, a, a seeing what you want to see? Yeah, I think everyone... There were a lot of different individuals involved. And I think for everyone, it was something a little different. I think for the Roth family, like I mentioned before, they were, you know, really into the spiritist movement. They were sort of predisposed to believing these things. Um, they probably found an opportunity, to, to even call it an opportunity. I don't mean to say that they're opportunistic. They They are already looking for uh, ghosts to appear in people who will act as hosts. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that in seances that they had already been involved with, they had tried to make contact with Mary. So they're clearly predisposed to believing that their daughter could appear in someone. And then they hear a girl down the street is having these sorts of unexplained seizures and episodes where she's not herself or having these outer body experiences. Um, and so they already imagined their daughter's ghost is sort of flying around the house and hey, down the block, why not? Yeah. You know? And then for Lorancy, her what must have been going through her mind is is really complicated and difficult for me to imagine. But uh but to be a girl who clearly is there's some sort of health, some sort of health problem or occurrence she's having these episodes she might not entirely understand them um she's concerned for her own future 
And then suddenly there's people who are like willing to take her in, take them under her wing, but they are telling her that they think that she's their daughter and she, part of her might just sort of roll with it, Hmm. but part of her might've rolled with it without even realizing it. Like she might really be caught up in it and believe it almost. And there's sort of the power of suggestion, which I mentioned in the, in the bridge of that song. And yeah, like she knew where everything was in the house, but that's according to the Roths. And it could easily be that like, you know, Mrs. Roth is bringing Lorancey in and being like, Mary, welcome home. Like, didn't you miss the, your doll up here in your room. And she's like, Oh yeah, my doll. I mean, like that could be the sort of recognition that they reported. Well, is there any part of you that thinks it might have been an actual possession? Well, there's part of me that, that really wants to. Um, and I also, (laughs) we want to get kind of hokey for a second. Um, I, I really like imagining or believing that there is sort of an imprint that we all leave on the world, even when we're gone. Right. Yeah. And there's like easy examples of like really influential people, but like David Bowie sadly died, but David Bowie is still so relevant and alive through the music that he left through the way that he influenced culture. Yeah. Um, so he's still very much alive. And, uh, and but we're talking so- about like a, a spirit versus a footprint, you know, yeah. we're talking about I mean, a spirit as I would define it is like the manifestation of someone's soul without their body. Yeah, so I don't I don't believe that that Mary Roth's spirit actually inhabited Lorancy, but I do believe that Mary Roth's sort of footprint huh. on the peop her community and the people around her sort of led let it be possible. Um Interesting. that maybe this, the, her presence the lack of her presence was so strong that filling it in is almost easier as far as inertia goes than keeping it empty. Yeah. And in the last verse of the song, I sort of ponder whether Lorancy, who is now dead, is possessing me as I, over a hundred years later, like 150 years later, am singing a song about what happened to her. And I'm creating these sort of like ghostly sounds inspired by the things that she did. Oh, I didn't Um, pick that up. That's so cool. What a great, like songwriting trick. Thanks, That's Jesse. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I wouldn't be doing that if not for her. And so in a sense, huh. I feel like, interesting. I feel like I'm sort of in this very abstract indirect way possessed by her and yeah. her legacy and her footprint as, totally. as I sing this song. I dig that a lot. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. What do you think? Do, uh, do you think like a person's spirit is contained in their body or do you think it's something that your body is inside of that's bigger than you are? I don't know if I believe in a spirit that is distinct from one's body. Well, I guess that should have been my first question. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess we're saying like, we're, I, so I'm watching a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They yeah. talk a lot about souls uh-huh. and vampires don't have souls and humans do. Mm-hmm. Uh, with exception, and that's where a lot of the story lies. Do you think that people have souls? Uh, I don't claim to know whether or not people have souls, but I do not believe, based on what I know in my experience, yeah, that people necessarily have have souls. Yeah. So I guess we're talking about like a 
an animating force, like the thing that gives you your unique consciousness. Hmm. And I actually read a paper today about, well, I didn't read, I said that totally wrong. I uh, scrolled through an article today (laughs) that that referenced a paper (laughs) about how they may have just discovered the area of the brain that, that produces consciousness. But we're not talking about like what makes you you. We're talking about what actually makes you conscious and awake. Uh, Like if you are uh, unconscious, it looks different than if you are conscious. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not talking about consciousness in the grand scheme. But I've always believed that there is something non-physical happening inside of everyone. You know, like some that I would call a spirit or a soul. And I I have no like justification for that. It's just something I've always believed. And it's interesting to me because I am not a person of faith at all but then i do have this thing that i take on faith that i've never really questioned it's it's really it's a wonderful thing to ponder the nature of consciousness and whether our i mean the thing about consciousness is it's sort of in line with all of these some of these historical mysteries where we don't really know what happened it's like a contemporary mystery yeah. in the sense that we know an incredible amount about the human body and the human brain we know an incredible amount about the nature of sort of reasoning and intelligence insofar as we're like very close to and arguably have created artificial forms of intelligence. And yet we, despite knowing about all of these things, we don't know exactly what constitutes consciousness or how we could synthesize that or where in our corporeal form, like consciousness arises. I mean, it really, it might be something that, is less tangible and whether that's because it's an experience um, or whether it's because there is something else that we can name and identify like a soul or a spirit within each one of us that we can identify with that consciousness. It's, it's, it's super interesting. This is something yeah. I've actually been really fascinated by my whole life. And I uh, I know that collective consciousness exists because I've felt it so many times. Mm-hmm. You know, like our last Mugatu show, when we're up on stage in Mugatu, like you can feel it in the room. Mm-hmm. It was a very powerful moment, uh, like a life moment for both of us. And I'm sure for Dan as well, totally. where everything felt bigger in that moment and more expansive. And I mean, just like playing with you on stage. I mean, I you and I uh, are facing out when we're, uh, living in the past in Mugatu. <laughs> uh, like we're always facing out and not really looking at each other, but I always felt like very connected to what you were doing uh, to the point where I felt like I was looking at you and talking to you about what are we going to do next, but I didn't have to do either of those things because I could still feel it. Mm-hmm. So I, to me, it's always felt like consciousness is outside of my body and then I have a piece of it inside of me because I feel like my consciousness is like reaching out to other people and things and can interact with them without my physical direct interaction. Totally. I, I, I've for a long time sort of bought into ideas or played around with ideas of collective consciousness. Um, I mean, if you think about our, our bodies, like my individual body yeah. or your body, uh, it consists of many, you know, millions, billions of microscopic single-celled organisms like things you're talking about midichlorians right <laughs> talking about also <laughs> talking about you know the probiotics in your gut and yeah. the, all sorts of things that live in your blood and uh and they are they can cons- 
they are you. It's not like they're like, right. there's parasites that, that could live in you, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about things that like are your body, but are like, in like mitochondria. Well, know? mitochondria are like within cells, but, but I'm talking about the, the, the single celled organisms themselves. Oh, I see. Okay. I've got you. And there's mitochondria within them, but they're, I see. They're, they're, they you're are not talking about the building blocks of life. You're talking about actual, organisms that are inside of talking your about body. organisms that okay. are inside of you and when you, you add those organisms up there's you and you have a consciousness and but there's it, also i mean there's also there's that and there's also stuff like mitochondria you know they're also the building blocks of my body by itself that are not organisms without that is true the whole yes yeah yes but then you think about Right. But if you take that as an analogy and you look at a larger ecosystem, there are oh, little animals scurrying about like you and me. And there are other things like trees and rocks and rivers, which uh, are like our you're bones and our things yeah. that are like within our body. So in totally. the same way that our body, which has a consciousness, whatever the hell it is, is comprised of lots of animate and inanimate objects. Oh, cool. Larger ecosystems, even the Earth collectively, gotcha. is I, a collection awesome. of animate and inanimate objects which may have, uh, could, there could be a consciousness prescribed to the whole totally. thing. So maybe in that way, the Earth itself has a consciousness. Yeah, this is my sort of like pantheism, m- Mother Earth Gaia theory this is about as close to religious as yeah as i as i get but i so in in like your god hole this is what you would put yes yeah this is totally what's in my god hole yeah yeah that's that's super cool and i love i love the analogy too it's really interesting because of those single-celled organisms that are in my body you know that are just kind of passing through my body but are still a part of my body and and they exist and they could exist outside of you and totally. they don't experience your consciousness totally. even though they comprise part of you analogy. which collectively has a consciousness but they have no idea that i have a consciousness right in the same way that we have no idea that mother earth has a consciousness if she does you know yeah, yeah. so it's something that you take on faith if, if it's something I guess you believe so. yeah. yeah yeah very interesting yeah yeah so, my yeah. view, I've, my view of God is uh, very akin to the Force in Star Wars. <laughs> like I honestly, I'm I'm thoroughly unsurprised. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I honestly believe that there is like something that is collective consciousness that can be tapped into, and maybe it's just being a very empathetic person that allows you to feel the consciousness of another, or maybe it is some bigger thing that like animates everyone, but I feel like it's stronger when there's more people together or certain people have it more than others. Like certain people are more, I guess I would say empathetic than others. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's something you can learn to kind of tap into very much like Taoism, how the Tao is the way, and you can kind of tap into this idea of following the way that's set forth in the universe, uh, in the way that is the most um, like going with the stream possible. And to me, that sounds like the force, you know, it sounds like this thing that if you tap into it, it can give you power. And in Star Wars, it's like real physical power, whereas in my mind, it's more like a uh, like a power of self and a power over your own consciousness. Um, just a knowing of yourself and a, an acceptance of yourself and going along with who you are and discovering that. So, uh, so yeah, it's, so in that way, it very much feels like, you know, the path of the Jedi just being alive. It's very exciting. I love it. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, well, you want to play us another song? Uh, we we don't have much time left because we got we got some pinball to play. But yeah, yeah, I, I'd love to. Um, I'm going to play one more song. It's called Helicopter Hieroglyphs, and it is about these um, carvings, these mm. two to three thousand year old carvings in this temple in Egypt, um, which have become known as the helicopter hieroglyphs because they appear to really clearly and distinctly depict um, a helicopter along with other modern machines. Yeah. There's like a jet airplane. I've heard of this There's a submarine, something that looks like a submarine or a hovercraft. um, And... It's been a subject of all sorts of exciting and wild speculation for a long time for obvious reasons, because how for could... time travel. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Because how could 3,000-year-old um, carvings depict things that have been invented within the past 100 years? Uh, and so people have explained that uh, with time travel, suggesting yeah. that, yeah, we clearly have either already invented time travel or will invent time travel, travel back in time, and explain or demonstrate some of these things or show some of these things to the ancient Egyptians. Um, There is also the theory that the ancient Egyptians somehow through their own um, like potentially magic religious practices could have uh, experienced a form of time travel. There's also, there's a whole genre and you'll like this one. There's a whole genre of theories and you see these crop up uh, in lots of places, not just the helicopter hieroglyphs of the ancient astronaut um, yeah, theory, totally. which is the idea that aliens have visited. You know, there's there's the question of uh, the sort of paradox of like, if there's life out there, how come we haven't um, seen it or interacted with it? And some people say, well, we have, just modern people haven't, but yeah. ancient humans had been visited by aliens and you can see that as proof in cave drawings, which appear to depict humanoid figures that don't look quite human. The grays. Yeah, the grays. Or in this case, um, the helicopter hieroglyphs could be explained by aliens coming down and showing the ancient Egyptians um, these sorts of advanced tools of travel. Um, Yeah. So so there's all sorts of really exciting ideas is there and uh, is there any chance that they're fake well so this one's actually pretty well understood this isn't so much like a mystery anymore even though lots of people will still lots of ufologists will still use it to explain uh, or as proof for these these fantastic theories Um, but this one is well understood by experts and what happened essentially is a there are multiple sets of carvings on top of one another and they can actually be separated. And you can look at a chart where what appears to be a helicopter is actually like a bird that was carved one year. And then a hundred years later under a different Pharaoh and a different like regime, other figures were sort of crudely drawn on top, almost as if you were drawing something on a whiteboard, didn't have an eraser but just sort of switched from a green to a black pen and just sort of started drawing new stuff on top (laughs) of it, which you, as someone who speaks the language or knows the figures that you're drawing, you and whoever else is looking at the whiteboard, you'd probably be able to see the distinct shapes of like, oh, in green, that's the, 
that's the car. And there in black, that's you writing out like the schedule for the week or something, whatever you're writing on the whiteboard. Yeah. And so we're talking about people with no paper and nowhere else to draw. Right. Yeah. So, (laughs) and yeah, and no erasers. Yeah. So yeah, no erasing things carved into stone. Um, so, and they could clearly identify these familiar shapes to them, but they aren't familiar to us. And we just happen to see it's, it's just coincidence that they look to us like these modern. So we're projecting familiar shapes onto exactly in the same way that you look at the clouds and you're going to see things, you're going to see familiar shapes in them. Yeah. Um, we are looking at these hieroglyphs and seeing familiar things that are familiar to us. Cool. Um, so that's what's happened to there. But, uh, unlike most of my songs in which I sort of imagine, or I explore the different possibilities. And ultimately a lot of my songs, they sort of land on the boring one or whatever I think I might believe. Um, this one, I just indulge in a fantasy and I really like the idea of somehow, whether it's through, um, or regardless of how they pull it off, I like the idea of an ancient Egyptian either traveling through time or having visions of our time, uh, seeing our modern life, uh, and then going back and carving it and also trying to put into words what he or she describes. Shit, that's cool. Yeah, now so you're speaking my language. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's, that's what this song's about. The song's called The Helicopter Hieroglyphs. Very excited. Before we, where can we find your shit mm, if people want to find you. your shit? Yeah. Uh, so the band is called Pink Moon, and you can find me at pinkmoontheband.bandcamp.com or at facebook.com slash pinkmoon. Or go to the Jesse Mercury Sci-Fi Podcast website where I'm sure there'll be links and such at the bottom of the thing. You can do a link, right? Totes. All right. Totes. There's totes <laughs> links there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bart McGuire, thank you so much for coming back. But yeah, it's so awesome to have you back on the show. And then we'll let you play us out. And that'll be the end of the episode for this week. And I hope very much that I'll see you all again very soon. Yeah, I'm sure you will. And it's been a blast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Distorts in the warped reflection of the River Nile. Proof of storms in distant lands many years ago passing by. My hands, they adorn these walls with the images that I inscribe Beings that soar to impossible depths of sea and sky I can see them when I close my eyes and I dream i
bridges crumble and fall They fade away but our temples still stand Strong above the sand Oh, the people surrounding them all They lift their gaze and hold mirrors to their eyes That cast such unnatural light They share a language Absent of tangible signs Thank you so much. Uh, if you want to hear his shit, check out pinkmoontheband.com. Pinkmoontheband.bandcamp.com. Pinkmoontheband.bandcamp.com or jessemercury.com. Yeah. Come on by the website. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Oh
Not all. 